Thank you very much for that scripture reading. It's great to see our young folks participating in such things. It was very encouraging. I appreciate it very much. There we go. Good morning, everyone. Although it's rather obvious, I'm not Travis. He's sick. He couldn't be here this morning, so you're stuck with me. Uh, since it was somewhat short notice, I looked, looked through some things that I had uh, spoken about in the past, and I uh, chose a talk that I spoke on here 13 years ago. So if, you have, if you've only come here within the last 13 years, you probably haven't heard this before. And if you've been here more than 13 years and your memory is like mine, you probably don't remember hearing it. So maybe we're good. When people ask, what's your favorite New Testament book, people will often suggest Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, the Book of Romans, and all those I really like very much. Um, what I want to talk about this morning is a theme found in perhaps my favorite New Testament book, the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is sometimes called the Gospel of the Outcast. I want to look at different types of outcasts that are seen in the Gospel of Luke and how the book uses those types of outcasts to illustrate God's dealing with man. Of all the writers of the New Testament books, Luke is the only person that was a Gentile. In a very real sense, Luke himself was an outcast in Jewish society. Therefore, the theme of Gentiles or foreigners as outcasts would be one that would be very near uh, to Luke's heart. When I was a little fellow growing up and just to learning, just beginning to learn about biblical matters, I would often be in Bible classes that were based on one or more of the Gospels. And those four Gospels, uh, the Jews were the prominent group. Uh, the Gentiles were less frequently mentioned, and when they were mentioned, they were typically outsiders. Well, being like most little kids, rather naive and somewhat self-absorbed. I, I didn't want to be an outsider, so I assumed I must be a Jew. Uh, I was rather disappointed when I found out I was a Gentile. Um, but the good news is, as Luke makes clear in his gospel, God cares for all people, both Jew and Gentile. One indication of this theme in the book of Luke can be seen in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In the genealogy that we see in the book of Matthew, it's traced back to Abraham, the father of the Hebrew people. But Luke traces the genealogy farther back, back to Adam, the father of all people, and through Adam to the heavenly father, God himself. We see this scene again in the story of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, an account that's found only in the gospel of Luke. And this we read, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. To those in that day who, who 
lived corrupt lives, but who trusted in their Jewish heritage, John the Baptist said this. He said, bear fruits that befit repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Luke also records Jesus' reference to a foreigner, the queen of the south, and how her actions would condemn the apathy and indifference of the Jewish generation of Jesus' time. We read in Luke chapter 11, The queen of the south will arise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. In the book of Luke, Jesus mentions other Old Testament examples that God has uh, always show that God has always cared about those of other nations. Luke chapter 4, we read, And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when there came a great famine over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Among the Gospels, it's not by accident that it's only in the book of Luke that these examples are mentioned. The fact that salvation would come to all tribes and to all peoples can be seen in Luke chapter 13, where we read, And men will come from east and west and from north and south and sit at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some are first who will be last. It can be seen again at the end of the book, Luke chapter 24. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. God cares, and has always cared, about all nations and all peoples. Another group of outcasts that the Gospel of Luke emphasizes is the poor. In the Christmas song, The First Noel, we're told that the first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay. The story of the angelic visit to the shepherds is found only in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2, we read, And in that region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold... I bring you good news of a great joy which shall come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Also in Luke chapter 2, we learn that the Savior himself was born into a lowly estate. His first house was probably a stable. His first bed was a food trough for livestock. Luke chapter 2 verse 7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It's not by accident that the only place that we read of Jesus' humble beginnings is in the Gospel of Luke. Luke records an occasion during the early part of Jesus' earthly ministry in which Jesus reads from the prophet Isaiah and applies the text to himself, it's a passage about God's care for the outcast and begins, at least in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of that day, with mention of the poor. 
He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. We're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. But there is a portion of a similar sermon that Jesus gave that's found in Luke chapter 6. It's sometimes referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. And the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the Beatitudes start with the, the slightly ambiguous, Blessed are the poor in spirit. In the book of Luke, the Sermon on the Plain, we find the simpler and more direct phrase, Blessed are ye poor. It's interesting to look at some of the parables that are recorded in the book of Luke. For example, the parable of the rich fool, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the parable of the rich young ruler. And these are things that pertain to the riches of this world. And the first two of these parables are only found in the Gospel of Luke. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, it's not the rich man, but the poor beggar Lazarus, who was full of sores, who was exalted in the story. In the book Luke 16, we read, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate, a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. In the parable of the rich fool, we see someone who really doesn't see other people. And sees only himself, and he's obsessed with himself and his own desires. And in the space of three verses, we see the words, I and my, mentioned 11 times. We read in Luke chapter 12, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. In the lead-in to the parable of the rich fool, Luke records Jesus as saying, Take heed and beware of all covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The Gospel of Luke emphasizes that the greatest treasures aren't money and wealth, but things that money cannot buy. There are admonitions throughout the Gospel of Luke to take care of the poor and to show God's concern for the poor. An example can be seen in the story of John the Baptist. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the multitudes asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered, he who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. And him who has food, let him do likewise. God has, and has always had, a special concern for the poor. Another outcast theme in the book of Luke is that of women. Now, we may not think of women 
as outcasts, but they didn't have the same position in society in that day as they do in our day, or even in many ways that they did under earlier Hebrew history. They were almost always treated by, as property under Jewish law. Women couldn't testify in court trials. According to some sources, men could divorce their wives by just saying, I divorce you, three times. It was deemed inappropriate for a man to talk to a woman other than his wife and children, and women were forbidden, forbidden from talking to strangers. In a traditional morning prayer, a Jewish man would give thanks that God had not made him a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. In first century, Rabbi Eliezer said this, Rather should the words of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. Whoever teaches his daughter the Torah is like one who teaches her obscenity. They were not to be taught the Jewish law. Women are emphasized, however, in the book of Luke. The opening chapter is the story of two women, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. After the introductory uh, paragraph at the start of the book, the very next verse mentions a woman, Elizabeth. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. It's not by accident that it's only in the book of Luke that Elizabeth is mentioned. Luke does record stories about women who are found in other books of the uh, New Testament, He mentions uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. We read about the healing of the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. We read about Jairus' daughter, and we read about the queen of the south. But Luke's theme of the gospel of the outcast can also be seen in the many women he mentions in the book of Luke that aren't mentioned anywhere else, and that isn't by accident. We mentioned Elizabeth, who's only found in in the book of Luke, but it's also only in the book of Luke that we find in the very next chapter the story of the prophetess Anna and her actions when Jesus was brought to the temple as an infant. In Luke chapter 2 we read, And there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years from her virginity and as a widow till she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she gave thanks to God and spoke of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. It is in Luke alone that we find the story of the widow of Zarephath, whom Elijah ministered to. It's Luke alone that we find the story of the widow of Nain, whose son Jesus raised from the dead. It's in Luke alone that we read about the women referred, woman referred to by Jesus as a daughter of Abraham, who had been crippled for 18 years, and of the objection of the leaders of that day to Jesus' actions regarding her. It's in Luke alone that we read about Jesus' visit to the house of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, in which he not only speaks with them, but is recorded as teaching Mary. In Luke chapter 10, we read, Now as they went on their way, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion, which shall not be taken from her. It's in Luke alone that we read about the woman with the ten silver coins who searched for her lost coins. It's in Luke alone that we read about the much poorer widow who only had the two small copper coins and whose gift, Jesus declares, is greater than all that was given by the wealthy. 
Although there's a similar incident elsewhere in the New Testament, it's in Luke alone that we read about the sinful woman with the alabaster jar of ointment at the house of Simon the Pharisee. Here we see Jesus eating at the house of a respected Pharisee when this woman comes and offers her gift. She was a, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Perhaps another way of saying that she was a prostitute. We're told that she was a sinful woman, but her sinful lifestyle hadn't given her what she really needed, what she really hoped for, so she came to Jesus. The Pharisee wasn't pleased that she was there. He said, it says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Well, we see in the story that it's the preeminent Pharisee who is rebuked and the sinful woman of the street who is exalted. We read, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, what is it, teacher? A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And she loved, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's in Luke alone that we read about the very important women, Joanna and Susanna. Very important? How so? You know, most people wouldn't even recognize their names. But they and some of their named and unnamed companions are among the most important women in all of the Bible. Jesus spent three years preaching throughout Judea and Samaria and Galilee, and often his disciples were with him. How'd they live? How'd they eat? How'd they support themselves? It's only Luke that gives the key answer. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, preaching and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So it's Luke alone who informs us that at least a significant portion of Jesus' support during his ministry was provided by the women. Women were present at the crucifixion. They're at the the tomb to help with Jesus' body being buried. And it was women first, to women first, that the angels revealed the news of the resurrection. Another outcast strand of the book of Luke might be categorized as miscellaneous or others. Uh, among those mentioned who fall into this category in the book of Luke are, are captives or blind or oppressed or widows or sick or paralytics or hungry or weeping or slaves or lame or deaf or children or infants or the maimed. These who are among the rejected or downtrodden have a prominent place in the book of Luke. We referred earlier to Jesus reading in the temple from the gospel from the from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament and applying it to himself. The fuller reading of that text is found in Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 through 3. 
It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This same train of thought can be seen in Luke chapter 14, where we read, He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your kinsmen or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's not by accident that in the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, those that are specifically included are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the hated, the excluded, and the reviled. It's not by accident that those who are exalted or honored in the book of Luke are people like the widow of Zarephath, or the paralytic who is let down through the roof, or the widow of Nain, or the widow with the two copper coins, or the foreigner Simon of Cyrene, or the sinful woman with the alabaster jar of ointment. Perhaps the most loved of all the parables, parables is the parable of the prodigal son. It's sometimes called the parable of the lost son. We find it in Luke chapter 15, along with the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. None of these parables is found anywhere else except in the Gospel of Luke. Once again, that's not by accident. The context of these parables about lost things can be seen in the first two verses of the chapter. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with him. The prodigal son didn't start out as an outcast. He became one. He was an outcast of his own making. He took his share of the family fortune oops, one, and spent it on loose living. Later in the chapter, we learn a little bit more about what was meant by loose living. He spent it on prostitutes. He eventually ran out of money and had to take a job feeding pigs, which were unclean animals to the Jewish people. Feeding pigs, helping to raise them, was something that no self-respecting Jew would be caught doing. He had hit bottom. He was so hungry that he wanted to eat the pig's food. Eventually, he decided to confess to God and to his father that he was a failure, a failure financially but also and especially a failure morally. He said, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He decided to go home and beg his father for a job in his fields. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. In the parable, God is represented by the loving father who saw him at a distance because he had always been watching down the road and hoping for his son's return. And we are the prodigal son. 
The last category that I want to look at uh, this morning is the category might call outcasts of outcasts. These were the ones who were the most rejected, the ultimate outcasts in Jewish society. The first example among this category of notable outcasts were the tax collectors. We don't particularly like tax collectors today. Uh, but it was even more obnoxious in first century Judea. The tax collectors in that day collected money for Rome. They were one of the most prominent symbols of Roman oppression in first century Judea. Jewish tax collectors were seen as traitors to their country and their people. They were given wide latitude by Rome as far as how they went about their business. Uh, They were noted for being corrupt and often collected far more than what they were due. They were hated by the people. As people listened to the teaching of Jesus, the religious and political leaders, for the most part, rejected him. But the tax collectors listened intently to what he had to say. The opening verse of that 15th chapter of Luke about lost things says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Tax collectors had already been coming to listen to John the Baptist. It said, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than is appointed you. Among those tax collectors who followed Jesus was Matthew, also known as Levi, who eventually became one of the 12 apostles. In Luke chapter 5, we read, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. He said to him, Follow me. And he left everything and rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others sitting at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's in Luke alone, once again, not by accident, that we find the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke 18, we read, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to be a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The parable was told to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised other. The respected Pharisee and the tax collector both show up the temple to pray, but the account says that the Pharisee prayed thus with himself and was glad that he was not like other men. The tax collector, on the other hand, simply prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In Greek, the definite article is in front of the word sinner. In other words, God be merciful to me, the sinner. No hiding behind anyone else. No shuffling off the blame to someone nearby. He was a sinner and he knew it. And he came before God in humility. The record says that this tax collector, this outcast, went home justified. But that isn't all that it says. 
it says that he went home justified rather than the other. In other words, the Pharisee, so sure of himself, did not go home justified. In this story, it is the outcast who is exalted. Another group of extreme outcasts that uh, we see in the book of Luke are, were the demon-possessed. Some today try to equate demon possession with epilepsy, but the people in that day knew what epilepsy was, and they distinguished between the two, as we can see in Matthew chapter 4. The demoniacs were one group, the epileptics were a different one. Uh, It would seem that in the first century, when God endowed his apostles and some others with supernatural gifts for the confirming of the word of God, so Satan was also allowed a measure of freedom with regard to demon possession, not seen at other times in biblical history. One who was possessed by demons lived an unpleasant life, a bad existence with a demon often causing bodily harm and injury to the person possessed. Sometimes a person was possessed by a single demon. Sometimes they were possessed by several demons. Among those in the book of Luke whom Jesus cast out demons was a man by the name of Legion. Legion is also mentioned in the book of Mark where it said, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Even the demoniacs, though, did not escape the notice of our Savior. One of Jesus' close followers was a former demoniac. In Luke chapter 8, we read, Soon afterward he went on through cities and villages, preaching and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Another category of extreme outcasts were the lepers. People with leprosy tend to have to live in leper colonies uh, outside of the city, apart from the rest of the people. They were required to wear torn clothing and unkempt hair, and when they came in contact with other people, they had to yell, unclean, unclean. But because of the leprosy and the associated ailments, this often made shouting difficult and painful. Sometimes leprosy left people without fingers or toes, without hands, without a nose, without ears. In Luke chapter 5, verse 12, a leper approached Jesus and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. But look at the next verse. It says, and he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Here's a man who would have been shunned by the general public who would have spent much of his life yelling, unclean, unclean. He might have never have experienced very much in the way of simple human contact or compassion. And it says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Regardless of whether Jesus had actually healed that man or not that day, this would have been a prominent moment in this guy's life. How much the simple touch of a hand must have meant to him. Have actually somebody reach out and touch him. Jesus cared for the lepers. He was the help of the helpless and the hope of the hopeless. Another group of extreme outcasts were the Samaritans. Because of their ethnic and religious backgrounds, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Uh, They were a mixed race. When the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 BC, most of the prominent people were taken into captivity, and those who were left behind intermarried with the Assyrians and later with the Babylonians. They eventually established their own temple in, on Mount Gerizim to, to worship God, but in the 2nd century B.C., they yielded to the wishes of a pagan emperor by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes and rededicated this temple to the Greek god Zeus. 
Jews traveling from Judea in the south to reach Galilee in the north typically would go around Samaria so as to not be in contact with these people. On one occasion, the disciples of Jesus upset at a Samaritan village, wanting to bring fire down from, they wanted to bring fire down from heaven to destroy it. But Jesus rebuked them. Luke chapter 9, and he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But the people would not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to be at fire, come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. With this history in mind, we come to a story in Luke chapter 10. If there's any parable that rivals the parable of the prodigal son in popularity, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. In this well-known parable, a man on a journey between Jerusalem and Jericho was attacked by robbers and left for dead. Two Jewish religious leaders, first a priest and then a Levite, come by and see him, but pass by on the other side of the road without helping him. Eventually, a Samaritan, hated by the Jews, stops and helps him, treats treats his wounds, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, takes care of him, leaves money with the innkeeper to take care of him and says that he'll promise more money when he comes back if it's needed. The parable of the Good Samaritan has been the stimulus for many changed lives over the years and many benevolent deeds down through the ages. And the hero of the story was the Samaritan, the hated outcast. The parable of the Good Samaritan, not by accident, is found only in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of the Outcast. Another category of despised sinners were those whom the people specifically referred to as sinners. At Matthew, the tax collector's house, the uh, Pharisees and the scribes complained that, about Jesus' disciples and says, well, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus' enemies accused him of uh, being a friend of tax collectors and sinners and said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They complained about the woman with the alabaster flask of ointment because she was a sinner. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was at table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, is this man, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman that, that is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. The tax collector praying at the temple said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. While the Pharisee thanked God that he was not like other men, including the tax collector. Uh, of course, the truth is that all are sinners. The simple tax collector knew it and admitted it, but the learned Pharisee did not. Only one time in the book of Luke do we see a promise made to someone of paradise. That promise is expressly not given to the religious leaders or to the prominent or to the powerful, but given to a penitent thief being crucified with Jesus. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man's done nothing wrong. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The story of the repentance of the thief on the cross and Jesus' promise to him of paradise is found in only one place, in the gospel of the outcast. Not all outcasts were poor. In Luke chapter 19, we read about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a very rich man, but a morally bankrupt man. And he was an outcast. The story of Zacchaeus is found only in the book of Luke. That's not by accident. 
Most of us are familiar with the story of Zacchaeus. Many of our children grew up learning a song about him. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. But most of us aren't familiar with Zacchaeus' job description. It would perhaps surprise most of us to know that Zacchaeus is the only man in the Bible mentioned that has his particular job title. You say, well, what, a tax collector? There were other tax collectors. Yes, he is a tax collector, but that isn't the whole story. Zacchaeus, you see, was a chief tax collector. He was the one other tax collectors reported to. He was their boss. If tax collectors in Jesus' day were hated and reviled, Zacchaeus would have been even more hated and despised. In many ways, he was the symbol of the nation's hatred of Rome. He was an outcast among outcasts. Yet in Luke 19, he is the man of honor in the story. When Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming, he ran ahead and climbed a tree to be able to see him. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not on account of the crowd because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. For various reasons today, people don't like it when people drop by unannounced, you know, and we're not expecting them. Uh, But when Jesus announced that he would be eating with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus wasn't worried about straightening up the house or cleaning the floor or work that he needed doing. His heart was filled with gratitude because the most famous and popular person in town was coming to eat with one of the most hated. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But other people gathered didn't like it. When they saw it, they all murmured, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But when Jesus, the righteous teacher, announced he was going to eat with one whom the crowd regarded as a terrible sinner, Zacchaeus' heart overflowed. And he said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. The outcast had come home. The last of the extreme outcasts I want to look at this morning is found in Luke chapter 17, the Samaritan leper. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to him, to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus says, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Here we see not just a leper, not just a Samaritan, either one of which would have been outcast enough, but we see a Samaritan leper, an outcast among outcasts. Not by accident, we read about him only in one place, the book of Luke, the gospel of the outcast. In this story, Jesus heals ten lepers, but only one, the Samaritan, comes back to thank him and to praise God. If you think that this story is about Jesus reaching out to one of the lowest rungs of Jewish society, 
And I think you've missed an important aspect of the story. The Samaritan leper wasn't just one of the lowest rungs of Jewish society. He was the lowest rung. There was no rung lower. There's a saying that some sometimes use that goes like this. I complained that I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. The idea of the saying is be thankful. Don't feel so much self-pity about your situation. It's not as bad as it could be. There's always somebody else worse off. It's a great saying to keep in mind for our daily lives. Very instructive for the man who had no shoes. But it just isn't very helpful for the man who had no feet. It isn't a saying that would have been a much comfort to a Samaritan leper. He couldn't say, at least I'm not as bad off as, or at least I have it better than. You see, there was no one worse off than the Samaritan leper. There was no one whom he could compare himself to and feel fortunate in his situation. He was the lowest rung. Yet it's the Samaritan leper who's the hero of the story. There are many lessons that we can take away from the ongoing theme in Luke about the gospel of the outcast. But today I only want to leave you with one, and it's this. If God cares even about the chief tax collector, and if God cares even about the Samaritan leper, then I can be assured that God cares about me. And you can be assured that God cares about you. If you're an outcast from God's family this morning, God wants you to come home. He understands and he cares about the outcast. Jesus himself was an outcast. He was born an outcast. He was supported by outcasts. His disciples were outcasts. He ministered to outcasts. His cross was carried by an outcast. He died an outcast. And all the while, Jesus went about his mission to bring the outcast home. If you aren't a Christian this morning, we urge you to believe and to repent and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Of John's baptism, it is said, when they heard this, all the people and the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Of Christian baptism, in Acts chapter 2, we read about those who had killed the Son of God. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have needs or requests, you can come forward and sit on the front row. Or you go to the library and there will be elders there to meet you. You can come now at this time while we stand and sing.